Hi, it's Chrissy and Carrie, and we are Status, Status Macabre. Hello, hello, hello. Hey. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. It is good. Yeah. Again. It's good. It's nice outside. And yep, it's very nice outside. This is our second podcast of the new year. Yes, it is. Super excited. Dose. Still in the studio. We don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm loving it. I am too. Not we. I mean, I don't know how long we're going to do it for. We may, because yeah. we have two options. We can record yeah. it at home or we can... Yeah, I like the studio. I like the, the way studio. my voice sounds. I do too. I feel like... So rich. <laughs> I feel like there's... I think I like it the best. Yeah, same. Same, same. Um, and I can't have a studio in my house, I guess. Mm, could, I mean, I could. We could work it out. But we'll, I don't know that, that. that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so I, I don't know what else we had to discuss. I wanted to just jump in. Yeah, to, no, we don't have really a whole lot going on. Um. We got work tomorrow, and it's Monday, womp womp, and so let's do the fun stuff now. Definitely back to our regularly, our regular schedule for podcast releases, yes. and that was a little bit of a tongue twister for some reason. So we are planning on releasing on Sundays, Yep. and uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. Fingers are crossed. So I want to talk today about Joe Arity. Joe Arity. I cannot say that I've ever heard of Joe Arity, but I think this one was requested. It was. Okay. And I've got a little bit of information about the person that requested it. But mm-hmm. before we get to that point, um, what would you say if I told you that between 2 and 10% of imprisoned people are actually innocent? Um, thinking about my podcast last week, and I would... 100% agree with you <laughs> now and it's, it's we didn't even plan this you guys this nope. just happened we both did research on people that seem to be in the same circumstance except mine was a little bit worse um, this is according to the national registry of of exonerations which I didn't even know existed until I started my research for Joe Arity they have exonerated almost 3,000 people since 1989 oh my god and that's as far as I'm concerned that's not even enough no I agree with you that's um, that's a large number though. It's huge. But over the course since 1989, that's, this, yeah, that's not a lot. And but. this is probably, this was an older number. It wasn't a real time number. I think it was when I got it, it was, you know, from 2020. Yeah. So I'm sure it's well over 3000 now. Well, <sighs> I hope it is. It's a long process. Uh huh. The National Registry of Exonerations does amazing work, but this number is nowhere near high enough because we still have innocent people incarcerated today. One innocent person behind bars is too many. This has been happening for hundreds of years. <laughs> hundreds of years. People have been imprisoned and, and even executed when they, when they were innocent. Mm-hmm. And you would think with our technology today, it would not be as prominent. However, it, it really is. Yeah. Like with your episode, we heard about how some evidence could just be... Ignored. Ignored. Yep. And, and, and just forgotten. Or, um, you know, like with the expert who mm-hmm. wasn't an expert. Exactly. And, and yeah, some of it, because people want to win, man. So think about I, it. I know, I get it. But I, I, I never would want someone to go through. Oh, what, yeah, no. 
your guy or, or Joey already went through. Agreed. This was, this is a request from one of our listeners. His name is Rusty and he's been very patient. So thank you, Rusty, Rusty. for being patient. Thank you for being a listener. I hope I do Joe's memory justice because Lord knows there really was no real justice for him and his family. So a little bit about Joe's early life in the early 1900s, life was dangerous in Syria and it was ruled by, <laughs> I've never, I didn't even know sultans were a real thing. Oh, It was no. ruled by Sultan Abdul Hamid II. The That's locals, a mouthful. Right. The locals called him Hamid the Damned. Ugh. His local lieutenant was called the Butcher. Oh, that's not good. So that's going to give us a little bit of an indication <laughs> of what happened when anyone failed to come up with the tax money for the Sultan. Mm-hmm. A small group of locals broke free and headed for a new life in America. And many settled, of course, they settled everywhere, but many settled in Pueblo, Colorado. Once there and settled, many found work in the town's main industry, the Colorado Fuel and Iron Works. So I'll just refer to that as CFI. Okay. Not CSI. (laughs) CFI. CF and I. It wasn't long before they began to invite friends and family from the old country to come to America because it really was, it really was a better life here for them. Sure, sure. It also helped that CFI was booming and it was energized by the great industrial revolution and they needed unskilled workers badly. And I thought, unskilled, did I get that right? But they were looking for unskilled workers. Meaning like, I guess, people who they could train? Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. And some of that really was what I gathered. There really wasn't much that was black and white. Um, They didn't have to pay them as much. Oh, now that makes sense. Okay. However, contract labor laws prevented, prohibited companies from going to foreign countries and recruiting workers. But CFI, CF and I, found a way around this by encouraging the workers to share with their family and friends how great America was and how great CFI was. In 1909, a couple named Henry and Mary Arity heard of life in the, in the New World in America and decided Henry should make his way to America, and Mary would join him later. At 23 years old, Henry, who was said to be short, dependent on others for authority, and unsure about his age, he never, never, never really knew how old this guy was. He fluctuated. Okay. Okay. He just he, changed it every now yeah, and then. Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't know. He goes to Greece, to Patmos, Greece, and he boards the SS Martha Washington that's headed for Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, why would you not go to Ellis Island in New York? Why did right. you go to Philadelphia? Right. Well, corporate managers did everything they could to divert immigrants from Ellis Island because immigration workers were quick to quote, uh, they're quick with the chalk, mm-hmm. end quote. So essentially, while coming through immigration, if there was problems with an immigrant, a rash, a disability, mm-hmm. health problems, a chalk mark would be given, and the more you had, the less likely your chances were that you uh, would be okay. allowed into the country, okay. which I never knew. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I know everyone went through Ellis Island. I thought, I actually thought everybody went yeah, through Yeah, that's, Island. I did too. I thought that was the only place that you were going to come into the country. I did too. Oh, well, I did learn too. something new every it's day. It's not, but yeah. <laughs> Henry arrives in Philadelphia on uh, in March of 1909. Unable to read or write, he needed help signing his immigration pep- papers, and he also needed help filling his citizenship papers out. But once all that was completed, he was able to proceed without any incidents to Pueblo, Colorado. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. 
Once there, a relative helped him get a job at one of the CFI foundries, and it took another three years for Mary to make the trip. Why it took so long, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but it, she wasn't able to come for three Three, three years. years, wow. Yeah, but when she got there, her entry into the United States was very similar, mostly uneventful. Mm -hmm. She got to Pueblo without really any incidents. But once she got there, her and Joe wasted no time. <laughs> they wasted no time in getting pregnant. Oh, well. Um, yeah, it was very quick that when, whenever she It had she been got three there, years. That's <laughs> Although I find it hard to, well, whatever. I mean, I hope, I, I hope people are faithful, but yeah, their firstborn son, who they named Joe, died at two months old. Oh, no. Their second child was Joe Arity, the Joe that we're going to be talking about tonight. Oh, so they did double Joes. Interesting. I don't, I don't know, know that I want to be reminded of my first son by naming my second son by the I, dead I, kid's I, name. I think it's weird to name your like your child after your husband. Oh or, yeah. Or I I don't I don't ever want to have to go through anything like this. I haven't lost a child, but I don't. No, that would be. It would. I don't. I think that would be something I wouldn't want to do. I wouldn't want to disrespect it, that. Agreed. That past, yep. Child that's one hundred percent. Yep. Agree with you. Joe was born on April 29th, oh. and I know, in nineteen fifty. And for you, you guys wondering what the heck that meant? That's my birthday. 1915, not, not in 915. I mean, she's really, really good I looking so for, <laughs> for, so great. for over 100 year old person. But <laughs> Joe was a healthy baby, um, dark eyes, shiny black hair, and started public school in 1921. Mm -hmm. Well, during his second year, the principal called the Arity family and told them Joe was unable to learn. And they asked Mary and Henry <laughs> to keep Joe. To keep to keep Joe home now. So, I just <laughs> I I okay. I've got questions. So back then it was okay to say your kid is dumb, so you're yeah. gonna have to keep him home. Yeah, matter of fact, I have changed some of the language here because I'm like, I don't feel comfortable saying that. Oh um, they, yeah. So they probably said he had a mental. Oh, they said disability. Oh, or, or learning disability, I should say. I wish it was that nice. Yeah. Oh well, I'm I'm but, paraphrasing. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, and they could do that back then. That's and that's awful. The police knew about it. The <laughs> governor knew about it. It was it was okay. I guess it was the 20s, right? And you could just be <laughs> mean. I don't know. There was definitely no canceling back then. <laughs> our cancer culture. Yeah. Cancel culture. Well, sometimes I think about our society and like we're too quick. To do that, but yeah. then I look at this and I'm like, okay, but that's too far on the other side of the oh, spectrum. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. So for the next four years, Joe stayed in the house. He was very passive, and he was happiest when he was playing by himself. One of his favorite things to do at this age was to, to create mud pies. Oh, who doesn't love a mud pie? I mean... I actually did that when I was little. Same, same. So I, I love don't know me a that mud our pie. listeners know what the heck a mud pie is, but it is literally exactly what it sounds it's like. It's mud. And then I did With it in water a, and yes. rocks as sprinkles and pine straw. I mean, I did it oh in a God. chicken coop. <laughs> Ooh. Because, I mean, there were no chickens <laughs> in there. That, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, my grandparents had a farm. I got in the coop and I made some fucking mud pies. With chicken poop in I know. I'm not saying that there wasn't chicken poop involved. I'm just telling you. Anyway, I apologize. These digress. were not chicken poop pies. Yeah, no. Jo Joe Arity <laughs> like mud pies. 
<laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, to us, it is very apparent that Joe has disabilities. And in today's world, there is government, uh, community help, there's funding, mm-hmm. um, from your church, friends, family, for sure you never ever would hear of a principal telling parents to keep their child home because he's unable to learn. Yeah, just stay home. <laughs> right. Um, as, and as you can imagine, Joe being home full time added an extra financial burden. Also, the Arides <laughs> added more children to their family. Okay. And in 1925, by 1925, Henry's salary is stretched thin and he's starting to panic. Like, I've been there. I know what it means, what it feels like. Mm, oh, definitely. He is able to get some help from outside sources. However, people begin to talk and point Joe as the main cause for the family's financial issues. So that's right. Uh, a 10-year-old is causing all of the family's financial issues. And, and no, how is that even possible? He's sitting at home making mud pies. If anything, he's Thank probably you. he should start selling these damn mud pies. Thank you. <laughs> Like, he's the only one that's contributing to this family Thank as far you. as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's what it seems like. So, and it, it really, it really just gets worse mm-hmm. from here for me, for, for Joe. The community encourages Henry to contact the Pueblo County Court. When Henry, you know, when he did this, they in turn contacted the Colorado State Home and Training School for mental defectives at Grand Junction. Now, that is a long name. Yeah, it is. I will from now on just say Grand Junction. Okay, so, so it's just it's a school for the mentally handicapped. Correct. And um, you know, the Grand Junction and the county court are basically communi- communicating back and forth. Okay. Letters start between the two agencies regarding Joe specifically. Henry was really torn about what he should do. He was not the kind of father that just wanted Joe to be out of his life. He struggled making decisions. He asked for, you know, people for advice. But he was really torn on what to do with Joe. He knew he had problems, and he knew he couldn't help him. Okay. Eventually, Henry does decide to sign court documents to request a mental capacity hearing regarding Joe. God, was he that bad that everybody's so concerned about this poor little kid? I mean, good grief. Yeah, and and it's going to come, as we go through this, you'll start to see uh, how bad his mental capacity, his mental Mm -hmm. abilities really are. It just seems like there's a lot of people involved and just like mind your own damn business. (laughs) Right, yeah, and and I was thinking 1920-whatever. Yeah. It's still, uh, I, I think, the community was too much in their business. Clearly. So the ruling of the court was that Joe should go to a state home. So I'm going to read a little bit of the letter that they sent to the doctor. Dear doctor, this letter will introduce Henry Arity, the father of Joe Arity, who has kindly consented to bring his son to the school and pay for all expenses of the trip. <laughs> he is a little hard to get everything through his head, but understands that Joe is to remain in the school until you see fit to release him. I rather think that with careful attention, the boy will improve. The mother's, the brother's mentality is not of the highest and the family consists of several other living children. Okay, wait, I got to pause right there because the mother's mentality. Okay, so you're just basically saying, okay, the mother's stupid. Everybody's. Yeah. And that was one of the things that got me. I'm like, oh my God, you can't send a letter like that. That's nowadays. horrible. Okay. This is why I'm trying to stop from laughing as it's I'm reading awful. this. Awful. Um, and the family consists of several other living children 
and you know many have died at childbirth and shortly after. Oh, okay. The father has his hands full trying to care for the mother and the other children, but is willing to pay, willing to buy gloves for Joe from time to time. He has nothing but his daily wages, and his expenses are heavy. Um, and basically, he's he's saying, you know, let me know when when we can send him up there. Uh huh. So in November. Henry manages to get Joe 287 miles to Grand Junction and leaves him there. And again, this was not easy for Henry. He really struggled with the decision. I'm not trying to say it was one of those things where he went up there, dropped him off, and then took right. off. He really well, did struggle. Well, you're leaving your kid. I couldn't imagine what this would be That's like. That's awful. The family was encouraged by the superintendent to visit Joe whenever they could, but the distance, the hard terrain, and money issues made it impossible. So once mm-hmm. he was there, the family could not make the trip to go to back go see, see them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure money. Right. It's expensive. Yeah. So let's talk about what happened to Joe when he arrived and learn a little bit more, which I know Chrissy is dying to know a little bit more about his mental state to of kind of course. hopefully close this gap a little bit for some of our listeners. Keep in mind during this time, again, it's the early 1900s. Many things could get one sent to a mental facility at that time. Quote unquote normal was something visual for pretty much everyone. If you acted outside of what society considered normal, you had a high potential to be considered, quote, mentally defective, end quote. Mm-hmm. This included things like, and this is shocking for me, but it, it included things like epilepsy, old age, dementia, religious excitement. And of course, on top of that, people who truly did suffer from a, a mental disability or illness. I like the uh, religious excitement. Yeah. I mean, praise the Lord. Oh, yep. they're defective. We're not We're not chopping <laughs> off any chicken's heads here. We're not. Right, we're not. What, it, what is that? It's the snake Pentecostal and you got like the snakes and stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. Speaking in tongues, I guarantee that's you they're it. mentally defective. Well, <laughs> yeah. see, that's fair. Yeah. When Joe arrived, he was isolated for examination and observation, and this lasted for 10 days. And this was something all the everybody did. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just for Joe. During this time, he was given an intelligence test. Examiners discovered that he could point to his nose, eyes, mouth, and hair. He could also identify a key, a key penny, a pocket knife, a watch, and a pencil. He was also able to give his name and sex, and he could directly repeat up to seven syllables um, in very simple sentences. I have a cat. The summer sun is hot. He could count four pennies, and he was able to draw a square and a diamond. Now, right. he was 10 years old. Okay. I mean, that's, well, I mean, I, 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 when I it's a strange intelligence test, but I'm, I mean, well, okay. Well, that, that's just the start of it, okay. right? So as the test gets a little more rigid, starts to get a little more tough, mm-hmm. Joe fails. Oh. So when asked, what must one do when they are sleeping? Joe responds, eat. Well, maybe get hungry before you get tired. I mean, I like if I'm hungry and tired, I don't know what's going on. Just, oh, know, yeah, me either. You don't I know got, which one, which right. one, which one, which one do I do? <laughs> he yeah. failed repeating four digits. He could not identify any colors, and he could not identify, he didn't know how old he was. Okay. Um, which doesn't shock me because his parents didn't know how the hell, how old they were. Right. Yeah. Um, and one might think that this could be contributed to his lack of school and even his family life because I, I don't think his family really paid that much attention to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joe oftentimes would not answer any questions. He spoke very incomplete sentences and usually not more than three words. Okay. Okay. So he, maybe he's autistic. 
We don't know. We, we, Chrissy, are not going to diagnose him on today's podcast. I know. I really wish I could, though. Um, but yeah, he's got he's got all sorts of problems. Sure. Um, and he most of the time would just sit there silently. Um, after the test, the examiner gave him an IQ of 46, oh. which is moderately impaired. And mm-hmm. if you recall, this has been many episodes back. I talked about in some detail on another podcast, um, the, the IQ yeah, the test I- and the mm-hmm. assessment. And we know since then, and it's depending changed. on where you are, how much it's changed. So I truly can't tell you what 46 meant back then. then but yeah. what I can tell you is they thought he was, had the mentality of a four-year-old. Right. Um, he was totally passive. He never initiated or made a move on his own. He wasn't violent. Several other things to mention that stood out to me, and you know, these things were also added to his institutional record, were, you know, um, does the child talk? Sometimes. What age did he start talking? Five. Is he inclined to run away? Yes. I don't know how they would figure that out <laughs> after 10 days. <laughs> I, maybe he tried. And here's the kicker for me. Does he understand the difference between right and wrong? Well, they answer somewhat. It's not a hard no and it's not a hard yes. It is somewhat. So that's very vague for me. Yeah, agreed. I, I feel like it should be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, do, does he come when called? Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, His okay. temperament. He's For the most part, he was good nature. Okay. Um, was he abusive to other children? He was afraid of other children. Mm-hmm. And he was jealous sometimes of other children. Mm-hmm. Did he manifest any habits? And I don't, you know, they... Yeah, he likes to hammer nails. <laughs> to me, the first thing that I do not do is give a 10-year-old a hammer and nails. No, why didn't they put mud pies on there? Thank you. <laughs> I don't know, maybe mud pies were too dangerous, but Clear. here's hammer and nails. That's insane. I mean, I'll see a couple times in here, we'll listen where I'm like, why would you give him scissors? I don't, you know, like, I don't Especially understand. if he doesn't know how to cut. <laughs> Um, did he, you know, did he go to public schools? Well, he did go for two years. He cannot read, write, recognize colors. He can't subtract. He can't add. He can do very simple errands. He's afraid of other children and he prefers to play by himself. And they did say he does break and destroy things. I find that kind of hard to believe, but this did, this, uh, mental, this state facility did Mm -hmm. seem like they were a legit facility. Mm -hmm. The doctor that examined Joe determined him to be healthy, but did make... (laughs) Did make a note, here you go, Chrissy, did make a note in his chart that Joe's parents were first cousins. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, incest is best, me, I guess. I don't to know. To me, that's too close to a sibling. I, I know it's not, but. No, it's totally, it's you're sharing too, DNA, a lot of DNA, regardless. Ugh. <laughs> he also noted that, uh. Henry and Mary Arity mm-hmm. had a total of six children. Three had passed, oh. um, and one was never identified in any records. Yeah. Well, and that happens a lot back then. I, I think, yeah. Because just from doing, like, ancestry stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, especially in rural areas, somebody dies, man. Just go dig a hole. I was getting ready to say, you're... Uh, you might not even know that people had children. No. Right? Uh, so, th- yeah. It's, 100%. They... they Bury him in the backyard. I read this and I was like, this means nothing to me because you and I know that this has happened. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it happens now. Um, uh, no. Well, it wasn't until like the 1915s or 20s. I can't remember when just South Carolina required a birth certificate yeah. and marriage certificate, death certificate. So it's, I don't, I mean, I don't know about here, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 
it was very early on in the process, um, I think. So it may have been that they just didn't record deaths where they lived. You know what I mean? Right, right. So the 10 days pass. Joe is through his isolation and begins what to be his, what is to be his new normal. And we all know what that is right mm-hmm. now. So several of the children there were allowed to go to school for several hours during the day, uh, reading, writing during the a.m. The girls would move to <laughs> cooking, rug weaving, needleworking, and the boys would make wood furniture, brushes, you know, and then there was also a group of boys that would take care of farm animals. So that mm-hmm. to me would be fun. Like, oh, yeah. Feed them milk, cows, collect eggs, care for livestock, do whatever. But Joe was not in any of these groups because of his mental capabilities and because of his size. He was a very small boy. Mm-hmm. He only grew up to be five foot four inches tall. Oh, wow. So he is really tiny. His dad was only five, five. Oh, okay. So he's, okay. <laughs> he's a little bitty boy. A little tiny thing. Right. He was allowed to attend some of the entertainment groups. They had picnics, movies, holiday celebrations. And then there was a circus that actually came into town pretty often. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, the older boys at the facility would go to the circus, and they wouldn't come back after <laughs> after the show. Um, Did they? I guess they were like, hey, I'm going to be a yep. circus dude. Instead, they would tr- <laughs> decide to travel with the circus. Oh, and so probably a lot that, more fun. I, I would think so, right? And so when that happened, the local sheriff would do what he could to bring them back safely. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't always something that he could do. Right. During his first stay at the institution, yes, Joe's been there a couple times, um, Joe had a very clean record. He didn't cause or engage in any trouble. He never tried to run away and overall remained healthy. So this shocked me a little bit, but um, if you weren't healthy, that could get a problematic mark for you in your record. Mm-hmm. So, so you, I mean, like just a, a negative... A negative mark. Negative mark because yeah. you were not feeling good that day. It could. And I don't, I think it meant overall health. Okay. Okay. Right? Like epilepsy. Right. That during a seizure, mm-hmm. I understand this now, right? Maybe they could be considered difficult, but they have no control of that. You're right, right, right. So that is just the only example that I could come up with. Mm-hmm. That's how I made sense of it in my brain. Yeah. Um, but his first day was, I mean, I'm going to say a short one, but it was his shortest one. Okay. Joe's been in the institution now for about nine months, and the whole time his father was in misery. He constantly worried about his son, and he started to doubt that he even made the right decision. Sure, he'd be uh, right. I would. I mean, I'd. Pr- I would struggle. I would struggle. I. I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, he begins to talk about it to some of the locals, close family and friends, until one day he really couldn't stand it any longer. Remember, Henry could not read or write. None of the family could read or write. Let me just make sure I say that now. (laughs) So he has a friend type up a letter stating that he was going to be relocating to Detroit, Michigan, and wanted to come and pick up Joe, take him with him, and he would put him in a school there. Okay. All right. The superintendent responds to that letter and says, if you want him, you'll need to go back to to the court and if the judge grants the release, you come and get him whenever you want. Oh, wow. So we had to go through the court just to get his son back. Well, Arity went to court to have his son, his son put in. So I guess you have to go that yeah. way to and get him out. S- and so the superintendent wasn't being a dick. He was right. just saying this is how things go. Go, sure. But I was never able to find where a release was 
ever written. Okay. So, you know, we assume he received the go-ahead from somebody because in August of 1926, Henry arrives at the institution and he meets with the superintendent who then writes a release on a sheet of paper and makes it clear on the release that Henry Arity was going to assume full responsibility of Joe Arity. Okay. And, of course, we know, well, they didn't move to Detroit. Oh, know? so he was just talking smack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, I just want my kid back. I what do baby. I come out with? Yeah. Yeah, what do I come up with to get him out? Okay. So Joe, and, and I think we can already tell that Joe is the kind of child that needs more attention. Oh, he cool. can't just be left to his own devices to do whatever. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, Henry's heart was in the right place, but he didn't do the child any favors. Right. No, and I, I definitely don't think that's helping. It, it's maybe calming his nerves, <laughs> you know, and making him feel better, less guilty and that kind of thing. But well, and think about how far we've advanced in almost a hundred years yeah. now. Like the people with epilepsy. Oh, and live normal lives. Yeah. Leave. We're in a hospital. Yep. So anyway, I digress because that, that pissed me off, honestly, but sure. I guess we've learned as a country. I got <laughs> Joe was home again. Um, and he, like I said, he's been gone nine, probably with travel time, close to 10 months and soon gets back to making his mud pies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, you know, about this time, you know, he's, he was 10 when he got there. So I'm going to say between 11 and 12, because okay. I, I'm not exactly sure, but he's not past 12 years old. Right. He's seen all around town taking long walks. He loves to take the walks. Uh, locals would later recall seeing him swinging his arms, looking very determined to get to whatever destination he had, wherever he wanted to go. I can see him now just hiking it. Yep. Booking it. He... He's very passive. When people came around, he was shy. He shied away from them, and he would just keep moving. He bothered no one. But that did not keep people from bothering him. Joe, unfortunately, was a target. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, everybody knows about him. Yeah. And he is odd, so. He's a little, right, he's a little odd. Joe gets older. As Joe gets older, his family does less and less to restrict how far um, and how and where he can walk. And I believe this is partly due to Henry being having transitioned from the ironworks job to bootlegging. Oh. <laughs> so we're in prohibition, right? right prohibition right. was law, and there was a lot of money to be made in it. Um, but and Henry saw dollar signs. Of course. And he wanted to be a part of that. Henry is not a very smart man. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows how to make moonshine. Well, he also knows how to get caught because oh. he is in and out of jail. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. He is in and out of jail okay. a lot. And this causes Mary to be at a loss on how to deal with Joe and worry about money. How do I take care of this family? Oh, yeah. And she's not so bright herself. She, yes. So. She can't read. She can't write. I don't think she Yikes. can do any work. No. So I wonder what. Yeah. There's no. There's no money coming services, in. services, no yeah. counseling to help with families like these. You know, the only thing that I think she can do is talk to family and neighbors to say, right. know, hey, can you help? No understanding from from the general public is really what I, what I would say there. It's a very bad situation all around. Well, three years later, Joe was on one of his walks. Now, if we say three years, let's just say 15-ish, right? Three years later, he's on one of his walks. When a probation officer crossed his path, he remembers Joe. Mm -hmm. 
He picks him up. He takes him to a local hospital, one of the local hospitals hospitals in that area called Woodcroft, and immediately types up a letter to the superintendent of the mental facility of Grand Junction um, that where, where Joe had been a few years before. Now, I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read, for me, the most titillating, the titillating. parts of this letter. <laughs> <laughs> so he says... Joe is one of the worst mental defective cases that I have ever seen. He cannot read or write, and he is not allowed to go to school for the reason he does not accomplish anything. Oh, I know. I picked him up this morning for allowing some, for allowing some of the nastiest and dirtiest things done to him that I have ever heard of. It is so dirty that I cannot mention it in this letter, but I will slip it to you on the side. And so what? The, what that meant in the official letter, he couldn't, he did not feel he could put. Right, he couldn't put it letter. in the letter. So he attached another piece of paper to it, essentially, is what that means. So you're still writing it down, though. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I know. I was like, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, what, what does that mean? We're, yeah. attaching, we're slipping it? Like, what does that mean? Um, he basically okay. says, Joe must be returned. Um, locals are afraid of the boy. He believes he never should have been released mm -hmm. um and he can't understand not only joe but why boys of the mentality of this one are even allowed to return home wire me on the receipt of this letter advising me what i should do i will send for him um the boy is in woodcroft hospital now okay i am not reading some of some of the words in here but you guys are going to get the gist of this mm -hmm. the things that were too dirty to mention in the main letter were typed up Again, on a half sheet and stapled to the original letter. Crime against nature. What? M manipulating the penis of boys with his mouth. <laughs> Sodomy. Allowing, okay, allowing boys to enter the dirty road oh. with their penis. <laughs> the dirty road? I am so using that going forward. <laughs> That's awful, but it's so... Okay, go ahead and finish, and then I'll ask my question. Sleeps with boys at their homes, and what goes on is not known. His father and mother know these things and have known them. His father, Henry Arity, is in jail um, on a charge of, of bootlegging. Okay, so I, I just want to understand what the crimes against nature. Is that him going down the dirty road <laughs> or entering the dirty road? Okay, so apparently, okay, I, 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 can't, I don't want to say too much because I'm going to give away a lot of it. Yeah, but I, let me go on to this next section here yeah, because no, I go, think it's going to explain a little bit of it. But okay, I, I just, it's not funny. It's, it's shameful what these kids did to him. It's the wording that they. Put well, I guess, and, and maybe just back up for me for just a second. But is so? How did this probation officer know about these things? He saw him. He saw, okay, he witnessed with yes. his own eyes, supposedly, yes. what was going on yep. at the hospital. Oh, no, no, no. So so Joe was on one of his walks. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what I meant. On his walk. Yeah. And he. So here's, okay, so here's here's what I want to say I call about bullshit. That. The word allowing there is very yeah. important because it's, it's everywhere. It's been everywhere in all of my research. In the book that I read and uh -huh. anything that I saw online. Okay. I, you know. I see that Joe would allow certain behavior to be done to him. This okay. helps me further understand Joe's mental capacity. He yeah. would allow someone to beat him. 
He would right. allow someone to put their penis in his mouth. Right. He would allow somebody to sodomize him. And he did this because he didn't have the, the mental ca- capacity and the capability to stop them. Right. But he also did this, I think, to please other people. Well, yeah, because he's an outcast, essentially. And nobody wants to be an outcast. And, you know, it's like you're going to go along to get along just so that, you know, people like you in your own head. I mean, that's. Well, you and I would say, no, you can't put your penis in my mouth. No, no, no. And not in my dirty road. Not in my dirty road. <laughs> Definitely not on the dirty but road. But he did not, whatever you need, Yeah, he, he lacked that. Yeah. And this is when I really started to go, like for me, I woke up. Yeah, yeah. It's, this, it's all being done to him. And exactly. he, And he's uh, he's unable to stop it. And that's, that is so sad. Yeah. That is so sad. This made him a target. In those days, people were, I mean, they're not everybody, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people were very prejudiced. Um, They were misunderstanding, and they were very cruel to people like Joe. Mm -hmm. He he was and always, he always was a target. I could not find one instance where Joe was physically assertive to anyone. I don't think he ever had it in him to be aggressive, and, you know, he was very vulnerable. Right. Poor kid. That's awful. He ends up back at Grand Junction, which is the first facility that he was at yep. years before. And when Henry gets out of jail, he starts another campaign to get his son out. And my heart, again, goes out to him because <laughs> here's a man who only has love for his son. Mm-hmm. No support and really very smart, right? Yeah. He's also the kind of guy, if he didn't have bad luck, he wouldn't have no luck at all. Right. <laughs> he hounded people, everyone actually, to... To help, to get them to help. Okay. Um, the old super had passed. The old superintendent okay. passed. So his rep- when he found that out, he wrote his replacement. He asked the schools to write letters on his behalf. He asked his okay. friends. He asked the county. He asked the police. He asked everybody. And he continued to get the same response from the new superintendent. And his name is Mr. Jefferson. Essentially... Joe's perverse habits made it impossible for Mr. Jefferson to put his release, to permit his release. And he promised that they were taking, they were taking special care and they were helping him in any way possible. He also explained that he would be very happy for Henry and Mary and the rest of the children to visit whenever they could. Okay. So he, he wasn't a dick about it. He was just like, look, my hands are tied. And I mean, he was saying the same thing the other superintendent said. So it was, there's no difference there. Right. And that letter mm-hmm. that the officer wrote. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Jefferson had that. Yeah. He didn't have any context behind that. He just, he knows he just what knew, we know now. Yeah, right? he just knows. <laughs> and and I'm, you think our eyes are bugged out. Imagine what 1930 eyes are doing. They're oh, really I know. And you didn't talk about that stuff either. Right. And so I'm going to talk a little bit more about the first habit. And you're going to go, what the fuck? <laughs> so these perverse habits may have included the fellatio and the sodomy, right? Discovered yep. by the probate officer. But Jefferson made it clear that the number one perverse habit was, in fact, masturbation. Okay. Okay. So hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. There get, there's more. All right. According to many notes, Joe was not very discreet about it. Okay. He well, really did not have the mental capacity to understand that this is something you should do in private. Yeah. Yep. He never learned that, and, you know, the other kids did. That being said, he still never showed any sexual affection or attention for women. He just, 
He just wanted to spank right? the monkey. Yeah. And so he did he didn't know that this isn't something again, four year old, right? I mean, I remember my kids when they were little yep. just pulling on those things. Pocket pull exactly. all the time. It's you know, when when my mother was reading my son a book, he's like four and he's got his hand in his pocket. I think I think one, I'm not going to say the name, but you know who you are. I think one of my sons still sits on the couch with his hands down his pants. Like, oh my, like Al Bundy all the time. I know. I know. It's weird. It's like, it's, well, I mean, it's a thing that's there. This wasn't (laughs) just his hands on his pants. He would pull it out and start to masturbate. Well, because he doesn't know it's wrong. in his four-year-old mind, it feels good and it's relieving whatever pressure. Oh yeah. Yep. And so that I understand. They didn't understand that then. No. And he's lucky, to be honest with you, because the prescribed treatment for this act in Winfield, Kansas State Training School was castration. That is horrible. We're going to cut it off if you keep pulling on it. Well, I think they just kind of like cut, cut the testicles out. I don't know. I think castration isn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It's I getting it's just, rid, rid of the gonads that produce the, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, oh, man. The urge to want to do that. And so I'm like, Oh, that's not a big deal, but to them, it was it, a big deal. It is a giant deal for them in, back in the 30s. Right. So uh, Henry continues to send letters. He continues to strike out. Uh, and again, I commend him, right? Um, we, have, we have literally an illiterate man who married his first cousin. He can't read or write. He's in and out of jail. No help for and from anyone, really. Right. Um, but he's managing to fight as much as he can for his kid. I mean, he's a good dad. I mean, if any, I mean, but is he? I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if if we could see anything, he's a devoted dad. Maybe not a good dad, but he's a his de- intentions. His intentions were good, and he was devoted to his son. He really, he. It kind of makes me wonder. The thing was, is I really couldn't find much yeah. else out about his family after you know the next mm-hmm. few paragraphs, like. Mm-hmm. You only find a little, you only know a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, right. it was a long time ago, and, well, and, and even now you wonder how, really, how much is, is, is real right. that was said. Eventually, the probation officer's letter is placed in Joe's file, mm-hmm. and he is forever stamped as a pervert. <laughs> of course. This is something that comes up over and over from now until he's placed into the gas chamber. Mm-mm-mm. Joe was allowed to do a few kitchen duties, anything that did not take him long to accomplish because he would get squirreled very quickly. Well, yeah, and I mean, he's only four in his head. This is something shiny. Another, right, right. another cup to put a mud pie in or right. whatever, right? I, <laughs> another cup to put a mud pie. <laughs> so in 1936, and, and honestly, it's it's not... It's 1936 is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. But from Grand Junction grounds, you could see trains. Uh-huh. Right? You could see the trains come by. Okay. There was a, a railroad yard not very far. Mm-hmm. One day, after Joe's shift in the kitchen, Joe and another kid, and he was about 16 years old, they walk off the grounds instead of checking in with their ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and they walk towards the train yard. Joe's friend hopped on a boxcar and that's heading to Salt Lake City. But Joe didn't get on it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Shortly after, Joe's still hanging around. Right. Three more kids. Okay. Three more kids walk up. And now these are three kids that he recognizes from the facility. Okay. Um, they decided to sleep in a boxcar that night. And the next morning, they hop on a train headed east towards Pueblo. Joe, preferring to be alone, 
when they get there, he leaves the the three. Um, mm-hmm. and But by that evening, they find Joe again wandering around the freight yard. And they all jump back on a boxcar and they head back to Grand Junction. So it was just like a day trip. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. just going to get in the boxcar, spend the night, take a take a ride and come 16 back. years old. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Um, what did Joe do during that day in Pueblo? Who knows? It's not clear. Um, Made mud pies. He, well, he told the other three guys that he met his brother and he saw a picture show. Oh, okay. Um, now, he did have a younger brother. He didn't specify which brother, but he did not have an older brother. And it would be uh, determined later that Joe had not seen him in over six years. And the Erdy family had moved oh. from the home that he was in right, right. when he was there. Okay. So he, he lied. I was going to say. I don't know that yeah. he knew he lied. Right. Joe likely really didn't understand what he did or where he went. Right. And thinking like a four-year-old toddler, which I can't remember, um, he likely understood getting to the boxcar took him far away. Right. Maybe even understood that it took him back to a place he remembered. Um, uh, where his family was, but he probably didn't understand much more than that. Right. He knew he, sh- he just was gone. Right. <laughs> the dates that Joe took this train ride are not 100% solidified, but from what I can tell, he left Grand Junction on August 8th, 1936, and he got back on August 12th. Oh, wow. Right. So he was gone for was about gone for five a- days, yeah. depending on the times that he left. Later, someone would s- would s- testify that they saw him in Grand Junction on August 13th. Now, these um, dates are really are important, which is why I'm stressing them. Okay, after yeah. After that, no one remembers seeing him for 16 days. Well, I mean, that's after... Okay, so they are saying that he came back and they saw him at the, the facility. Right. Okay, but then they no one saw him for another 16 days. Right. So what I don't know is if he came, did they actually see him at the facility? Or yeah. Or did someone see him at the railroad yard close to the facility? Yeah, because, I mean. That wasn't clear for me. That's weird. I figure if you're at the facility, somebody knows that you're there. Right. <laughs> you would have to. You would think. Yeah, you think so. In the meantime, on August 15th, we're, we're changing scenes. Mm-hmm. The curtains have closed. Now we're opening up on a new scene. Uh, on August 15th, 1936, in Pueblo, Colorado, Riley and Peggy Drain and their three stepchildren were getting ready for uh, for a few exciting things at the time. These things were very exciting. Okay, I was waiting. I'm waiting. What's <laughs> exciting? Riley is uh, the husband and Peggy is the, the mm-hmm. stepmom. Um, they're getting ready for a benefit dance at a local nightclub. And I cannot, I didn't even know they had nightclubs in 1936. Oh, yeah. Um, like jazz, maybe? I mean, I... I guess I just never really thought about it. I would love to see what a 30s nightclub looked like. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they're probably, some of the, that flapper style was probably still prevalent. And so you probably had a Several lot of. Several years ago when I was in Charleston, I went to a New Year's um, Eve party with a bunch of people. And uh, me and one of the other girls dressed up as 1930s style. Yeah. It was, of course, no one else did. Like, we looked stupid, but we <laughs> looked awesome. Everyone else had really cute dresses and whatever. And yeah. And we're just. You had like, the flapper stuff going. I love it. I love that style. I think I, it's really I cool. Too. I do too. Um, so they're getting ready for this benefit dance at a local nightclub. Their plan was to leave the nightclub at 2 a.m. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. 
um, go to the Grand Cafe for coffee and sandwiches, and then they were going to start heading home at 3 a.m. So okay. they knew this was going to be a night for mommy and daddy. Oh, this gonna, yeah, big night out. The kids had big plans as well. Um, Dorothy, 15, Barbara, 12. They baked a cake for the Sunday school picnic that was going on the next day. Mm-hmm. And Billy, who I think was nine, spent the night at a friend's house. All right. Well, and I mean, thank God. Those are all, you know, I mean, for a kid that would be a blast. Exciting things, yeah. The kids said goodnight to mom and dad, and they went to bed. Uh, Peggy hooked the screen door um, at the back of the house, left the lamp burning at the front of the house, and then left the front door unlocked. Which honestly, which is something that I think my parents did up until about ten years ago. To be honest with you, something well, at that time I think everybody did. Yeah, well, but they also needed to get back into the house. Sure. So these people left their twelve-year-old kid, fifteen, fifteen, and twelve-year-old kid at home alone. So they're, I mean, they're, and they're plenty of old are old enough to their take care of themselves. Live across the street. Yeah. Okay. Right. So okay. I thought about that too. I was like, okay, fifteen and twelve. No, I mean Not, it's pushing it, but if, if you have somebody that's directly across the street that knows to go check on them well, or whatever, I don't know how direct they were yeah. across the street. I know they were. Across, yeah, and who knows what that means in 1936, right? Well, and it was a different time, and too. nobody checked on them, by yeah. the way. Yeah. So when the couple came home at 3 a.m., the light in the front room was out. Okay. Once they were inside the home, Riley hears a moan. When he gets to the bedroom and turns the light on, he sees one bed soaked in blood. Dorothy, oh. the oldest, has a huge open gash on the back of her head, a black eye, and a bruised mouth. Oh no! She was face down on the floor. Barbara was still moaning and curled up on the other side of the bed. She had been struck in the head the same way as her sister had been, but she was still alive. Okay, okay. And those times, uh, not everybody had a phone, so Peggy had to run to across the street okay. again to the house, mm-hmm. to the grandparents' house, to use their phone. I don't know how far that was. So, uh, Dorothy, is she dead or is she alive? Dorothy. So she's got the gash in um, on the back of her head, they, but she's dead. They both were hit. Okay. Her gash is, was fatal. Okay. So but Barbara's still alive. Okay. Right. Police determined that Dorothy had been struck by something like a hatchet mm-hmm. with a three inch long wound behind her ear. It cut into her brain. Yikes. She had been severely beaten and she'd been raped twice. God, that's awful. Barbara had not been raped. Um, she received two bl- two blows to the back of the head, um, but they didn't. It didn't penetrate her brain. Mm-hmm. Her condition was considered grave. She was in a deep coma, and they did not think that she would make it. Oh gosh, it was a mess. It caused a frenzy in Pueblo, which for the most part really didn't have this kind of crime. I was going to say it doesn't seem. I mean, this is very, very. Uh, just horrible. I, mean, right. I was trying to violent. I'm wondering. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like that would happen very often. Right. Within hours, word had spread across town. Hundreds of people, hundreds of locals, relatives. Um, they all came to the drain residence. Mm-hmm. This forced the police to rope off the entire block. Once it was cleared, you know, these people at that time, mob mentality. Oh, 100%. And, and not only that, but I mean, Anything that happened was spread like wildfire yes. the and second it happened. Yeah. What they even said. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then they, they, they rope off the entire block, which is something they do a couple times in this story. Because, Interesting. Yeah. 
I think <laughs> they had to rope off. Now, I don't know what a block was back then, but they had to rope off a huge amount of space because it, they were having a hard time keeping the people keeping out. The people out. Well, because people are nosy as shit. And can you imagine in 1930 when... You know, your only means of communication are letter or telephone. Or you didn't have the right. You there. don't have the internet and whatnot, so you can't watch from afar. I mean, you were going to get in the middle of that shit. Yeah, I, I mean, I know I would have. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. So we had a. I lived at a dead end road, like ten whatever years ago, and um, there was a huge fire at like two on on my mm-hmm. road very very close to my place matter of fact coming down the road i thought shit my place is on fire. right right and you could tell people had no idea that this was a dead-end road and you knew the people that didn't come down there because the whole road which was like maybe a mile long mm-hmm. you there were people turning around turning around and trying to like <laughs> because they want to see yeah they want to see like they could have blocked off the whole road and i'd have been fine with it I mean, it's crazy people right. are nosy oh yeah they are so the times that the murders took place were very vague. It was either late in the evening of the 15th or early before 3 a.m. of the 16th. Right, because they were gone till 3 a.m. And, and from what I understand, they came back right at 3 a.m., just mm-hmm. like they said they would. Obviously, the murderer entered through the unlocked front door, turned out the light in the front room, made his way back to the girls' rooms, mm-hmm. possibly room, they shared a room, okay. possibly turned on the kitchen light because that would have been a light that would have shined in or shone, whatever the word is, into the girls' bedroom. Oh, so they could, he could see. Yeah. Okay. Attacked the girls and at some point turned out the light and left by the back door um, as that would have been at the back of the house. Well, you would think too, and it, it's interesting, you know, well, and I, everybody knew everybody's business, so this might be a moot point, but it's, you know, whoever did this knew that those girls weren't going to be alone. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's all very, everybody knew everybody's business. They they used to report that shit in the paper. So-and-so spent Saturday with, you know, Elma Sue at, you know, their residence for three hours and then went home and baked bread. Right. I mean, that's literally a... You know, that, a topic. Uh, that is a topic in an article in a paper because exactly. that's what they did back then. So exactly. I, so it's not hard. It's not, you know, it's not hard that lots of people may have known that they were home by themselves. Right. And and I'd imagine like there's probably half the town is at the. <laughs> right. At, at this benefit. Club or whatever. Right. Yeah. So the local sheriff, Sheriff Grady, called for bloodhounds, but the crowds made it completely impossible for them to pick up anything. They even drained the ditch in a, in a local vacant lot to look for a possible murder weapon. Mm-hmm. There was also another report of two separate women having been attacked, although unsuccessfully. Law enforcement were thinking that it was the same person. Although they were both grabbed by the rear, they claimed that the man that attacked them was only five foot five inches and maybe 135 pounds. Oh, this is not... It's not looking good, right? It's not looking good. One attack happened around 11 o'clock and the other one around 11.45. And supposedly what happened was the screams of both of these women scared the perpetrator and he ran Ran, ran. And... Two weeks earlier, two other women had been attacked in the same manner. So Sally and Beverly, Sally 72, Beverly was 58 years old, um, a niece and aunt. They were sleeping in the same bed. Sally had been killed and um, Beverly survived her injuries. So they believed that the per- this person was responsible for all six attacks. Okay. Okay. Well, it's all, it's kind of the same o- MO over yep. and over. So, yeah. 
try and imagine the, the headline. Oh, God, yeah. And so, you know, in 1930s. And so, maniac murders girls and bludgeon's sister. Oh, my God. Hounds hunt trail of a club killer. Now, I... It's not far from so the sensational, truth, really, but it's very dramatic. Oh, it's very sensational. Well, you had to have people read the paper. Not, I mean, they already were, but. <laughs> well, right. And this was big, right? So they reported this daily for four days and mm-hmm. then it kind of trailed off a little bit for a couple days and then popped back in the papers. Okay. But the trail, the case, I don't say the trail, the case was, the, the case was really growing cold. The public thought the case was growing cold. okay because they just didn't have anybody to say it would it or any suspects readily right okay well yes and no okay um no because that's what we're supposed to, to yeah, know, yeah 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 but yes the police were actually very um very in tune with what was going on they had a whole okay. list of suspects so they were just keeping things close to the bus as they should yeah because, and we'll see and we're about to see why and okay. here's why so on august 26th sheriff grady receives a call from an old friend sheriff carroll in cheyenne wyoming carroll tells grady that he has in custody a man he claimed confessed to killing dorothy okay he says he's a nut he can't read or write and has told two to three different stories, but does seem to know all about the drain murder. And Carol says he would not be surprised if this is the man you're looking for. Oh, wow. Okay. So railroad detectives picked up Joe Arity for loitering at the Unit Pacific Railroad Yard. During questioning, they realized that Joe was, quote, feeble-minded moron, end quote. By the time he was delivered to Sheriff Carroll, they saw him as a joke Mm -hmm. and kind of laughed and said you know here's a guy you ought to talk to all right this is your guy right and of course sheriff carroll does now this really is a man he's tenacious and he doesn't leave any stone unturned and he's somebody who wants to get shit done Mm -hmm. maybe not right he interrogates (laughs) not right but he just wants to get it done right He, he really is he really wants his image to to be puffed up uh he interrogates joe for an hour and a half and he concludes that he is the murderer. He <gasps> oh calls Sheriff God. Grady in Pueblo and then tells the press. Joe's confession appears the very next day in the local papers. Oh, my God. That is completely wrong. This guy doesn't know the difference between, you know, masturbating in private and not yet. Right. He confesses. To a murder? No. Yeah. I'm not liking this. Yeah. And so we are going to stop here. Oh, man. But next week. Yes. Will be part two of Joe Arity. Wow. This is, this is interesting. So you folks at home, don't skip ahead. Hang in there, Rusty. Um, yeah. We're going to, we'll, we'll get to the remainder of the story. It's going to be a blip week. for us. It's only going to be seven days for you guys. Yep. It is just a blip. A blip in time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's all I have. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, Let us know what you think, and we will talk soon. Yeah. You guys have a great weekend. I'm sorry. Week. Whatever it is anymore. I can't even remember. It's going to be the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because it's going to be Sunday. It is Sunday. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.